Hello and welcome to another episode of Digital Economy 101 podcast, in which we cover various topics from the world of digital economy. I'm your host, Dino Oreshki, and together with my guests, I provide an insight into economic activities based on digital technologies, which are crucial in every industry and indispensable in every business venture. Today's episode is titled Crypto Art, and my guest is Karen Francis Eng, UCLA graduate, multidisciplinary artist, creating digital art including VR, AI, AR, live animated projections, mixed reality and town-scale public art, active in NFT, crypto art, web 3.0 space, co-founder of The Platform, an artist-led, artist-owned web 3.0 publishing platform. Now, does art even survive in web 3.0 space and how can we all benefit from it? There is no one better to answer those questions than Karen. Hey, Karen. Hello. How's life? Yep, it's good. Not bad. Can't complain, as they say here in England. <laughs> okay, how very English of you. So, for for my benefit and, and for the listeners' benefit, um, can you tell me, please, what exactly is crypto art? How is it connected to the digital art? And where does NFT fit in this space? It's a very big topic. <laughs> yeah, um, so crypto art basically refers to art that is done using blockchain as a transmission medium in a way, or a um tokenizing medium, a way to sign, digitally sign artworks, but it also refers to art that um, is experimenting with the technology itself. So this started, I think, in, I would say about nine years ago. When artists are presented with new technologies, they tend to play with them to see what it can do and what kind of boundaries can be pushed. And I think probably crypto technology was irresistible to some people who have a certain kind of mind. Um, and I guess I'm in some ways, I'm one of those people, although I came to it quite late, not really until very early 2020. Um, because by then, artists had been playing with, uh, with crypto technology for a, a number of years already. When I came to it in January 2020, it was introduced to me as a way of editioning artwork, digital artwork especially. So if you think about digital artists had been around for quite a number of years already, of course, but for them, they've never really been able to be taken seriously by the art establishment because there's no way to make your pieces rare, right? So in order to make art a commodity, it has to be rare. So for example, I always give the example that Salvador Dali could paint a painting on a canvas and he signs it. And automatically it's very valuable, worth millions. If Especially if it has a signature, it's worth even more, right? So that's really priceless. Now you can also make some beautiful fine art prints from that canvas, uh, some special ones that are numbered one to 25 and you can sell them at the gallery or at the museum. And those would also be quite expensive, not as expensive as the original painting, but expensive because they're rare edition. Uh, it's an occasion really. So you can sell those as well. Then you could also make lots of 
cheap prints as postcards and sell them to the visitors at the museum for $1 each, or you can make free like tea towels or cups or anything like that. And you can also take a picture of it and post it on Instagram and everybody can enjoy it for free. Well, digital artists up until the point where blockchain technology came along really had no way to um, edition their artwork in the same way, right? Because if you make a piece of digital art, you put it on Instagram, anybody can right click, save it and post millions and millions of copies, print or mug just exactly the same way. But there's no way to like sell the one singular edition of that artwork. Well, blockchain technology makes it so that you can sign that artwork and create a rare commodity. It also allows you to edition it. So I think that's the relationship between digital art and this technology. This is why it was digital artists who really brought the possibilities of technology to the mainstream. It demonstrated how it could be useful to people in a way that we never had before. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, cool. It 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 does. It does. However, you you have mentioned uh uh your roots basically. Uh, mm-hmm. so you are an UCLA graduate, graduate in creative writing and poetry, which is not that digital. And as uh, you like to point out, the story of creative journey is very long and complicated. It takes in many decades and disciplines. So can, can you give us like a five-minute commercial of your of your journey? How how, how did you end up in, in uh let's say digital art? And well, I um also I in digital economy. The digital economy, yes. So gosh, it's like, yeah, it's really interesting because where I am now is in a way um it seems kind of crazy. It was a very long journey, but actually, if it actually feels really logical now that I've ended up here because um, it takes in art, it takes in technology, it takes in alternative economies, which I've always been interested in, right? Like capitalism has never made sense to me. Um, and I've always been interested in alternative currencies and alternative ways of living. But to go all the way back to my childhood, I grew up in Southern California. My mother is a traditional Chinese watercolor painter from Hong Kong and calligrapher. And my father is an engineer, a mechanical engineer. And um So it was written in the stars, okay? It was kind of written in the stars. And you know, and we I grew up 20 minutes away from Disneyland. And so I went to Disneyland all the time as a kid, being immersed in these, you know, which at the time already kind of like a little bit vintage uh, immersive experiences that are made possible by the creative vision of the Imagineers and Walt Disney, um, but also made possible by these creative technologists. You know, all these teams of people who came together to synthesize these really wild, crazy ideas and then find ways to together problem solve to make those visions possible. And you know, as we know, Disneyland now, like all the Disney empire is very successful, but I'm not talking about the movies here. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the park and the the experiences that it created for people to come and take part in. And um, to me, you know, even now the, the vintage rides that are there, for example, the Jungle Cruise, which was one of the original rides, the Haunted Mansion, all of these things are still 
100% immersive. When you go now, they're just as effective as they used to be. The Tiki Room, for example, they used animatronics. They used, um, you know, uh, illusions, certain kinds of like illusion technology using, for example, Pepper's Ghost in the Haunted Mansion. When you ride through, you can see ghosts dancing in a ballroom below you. It's not a fancy 21st century projection. It's just a normal projection on a piece of plastic that is angled a particular way to give you the illusion that there's ghosts in the room with you. And it's still 100% effective. It was a technology that was created, I think, in the 19th century for theater. Um, things like that are still totally effective. So what this tells me is that it's really not about how fancy our technology is. It's really about our imagination and how we use the things that are in front of us to create the vision that we want. And also the, the cooperation between those who are good with technology and those who are good with vision and art coming together is an incredibly powerful thing. So really that's the sort of DNA that I come from, right? And I only just found out a few weeks ago because my parents are now in their eighties and my sister uh, wanted to take them out somewhere. And they said, she said, Hey, why don't I take you to Disneyland? Right. She took them and they had such a good time. And she found out during that trip that in fact, my father had moved us to this house in Southern California, specifically to be close to Disneyland, which I never knew. <laughs> it has really affected my life really profoundly. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be an artist. But my parents said no, because they're immigrant Chinese parents. And of course, I had to be a doctor or a lawyer or something. Or a lawyer, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Or at best, a concert pianist, because that was an acceptable <laughs> thing for a little Chinese girl to do. And I didn't want to do any of those things. I really wanted to be an artist, like my mom. Um, and so with my parents' voices in my head, when I went to university, um, I did not take art. I took English because they told me I was a good writer and I could get a good job that way. So I did English. but I chose the most artistic English that I could possibly find, <laughs> which is poetry, which pissed them off. <laughs> um, but I do love poetry. You know, I was a, an avid reader growing up. I read lots and lots and lots and lots of books, as well as going to Disneyland and watching lots and lots of TV. So, um, you know, I've always had stories and words in my mind. I love language. And fortunately, I took to it. And so in the end, with my degree in, from UCLA in, in poetry, I ended up becoming a writer and editor. And that's what I did for the last three decades until I turned 50. And a lot of the long-term contracts that I had been working for ran out. And I thought, okay, well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to focus full-time on my true love, which is art and technology, you know, tech-based art. And uh, yeah, and here I am. So that's that's kind of the short version of how I got here. In terms of digital art, the reason why I, I mean, besides what I've just told you about the DNA of why I'm interested in, in technology and art, also having an iPad really makes it easier to experiment with art because even though I love working with paints and pastels and paper, all that stuff is really expensive, you know? <laughs> um, I was trained as a letterpress printer. Um, and you need a printing press, you need ink, you need a space for the press to go in, you need time to set up and clean the press. It's, it's, it's a faff and it's messy and it's expensive. By comparison, an iPad is very, very cheap and you can do all kinds of experimentation. And if you don't like it, you just delete it, right? There's, right. There's low risk. So and I think- You don't need a cleaning lady uh, afterwards. 
exactly. And so I kind of, I feel like um, being able to do art digitally freed me up in a lot of ways to express myself without having to worry that I was gonna, you know, spend loads of money on, on art supplies that I was then just gonna have to recycle. Um, I also went through digital photography, you know, again, like working, having a digital camera really freed me up to do more photography than I was doing with film, which I started doing as a teenager, really, because of course, like the cost of film is expensive. The cost of developing at a lab is incredibly expensive, printing, all of it. It is not a poor person's, uh, you know, hobby, but, um, but yes, I've experimented with pretty much every, I feel like I've experimented with pretty much every medium there is. And, you know, I take, I take all of that with me forward into everything that I do now. In terms of alternative economies, again, I was very interested in things like cooperatives. For example, when I was living in Berkeley in my 20s, I helped to um, organize and start a housing cooperative in Berkeley because the apartments where I was living were going to be sold by our landlady. And we asked her if she would sell it to us. We pooled our money, we incorporated, we formed uh, a housing cooperative with the Northern California Land Trust. And now, you know, the, the result of that project is now there's low income housing forever for the community, right? Like we set up the rules um, and the business and now you know however many years it is later 20 years later I, I i've gone back there recently and see that it's still a thriving place and a, a place where people who are on low incomes have a, can have a nice place to live and i really believe in that great stuff congrats thanks <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> i've done in my life that i can see has <laughs> a lasting impact so i am really happy about that okay and now i mean your background is in in writing books, arts, as you have mentioned, also in, in uh, films, photography, what whatnot. Um, uh, can you tell us a bit more about your current work, Ocular Delusion, uh, um, uh, Woman at, uh, of, sorry, Woman of Crypto Art, and other projects on which you are uh, currently working on? Right. So Women of Crypto Art happened in early 2020 during the first lockdown when lots and lots of digital artists basically jumped into the crypto art scene. Uh, mostly on the Ethereum at the time. And because, you know, as with in any sort of realm like this, it's very male oriented, right? You know, if you've got technology, if you've got art, it tends to be a lot of guys. And it felt like women's voices were getting a little bit lost. And there were also women from all over the world who needed support because, uh, of course, the dominant language is English. And so a bunch of us got together and said, why don't we create? a Discord channel and a Twitter account where women who are jumping into the space can just like come get support and just have like a friendly, um, open, welcoming place for people to be. And so that was its original intention. Um, we then decided to try to do a collaboration. So really the biggest project we have probably done to date is the Arcana Crypto Tarot. And that was in the December of 2020, I think it was, someone had the idea, hey, let's do a collaboration of doing a major Arcana Tarot. And someone created a Google Sheet and we each signed up to uh, create one of the pieces of art. Are you familiar with the Tarot? 
I am. So, I'm, I'm nodding my head. I am. <laughs> Traditionally, there's the major arcana and the minor arcana, and the major arcana are the are the cards like um, the uh, the sun, the stars, the hierophant, the hermit, the fool, um, and all those. And so there are 22 cards. We each signed up for one, and then we took the time to create these cards, and then the graphic designers among us placed them into um, a, a template that was consistent. And we tokenized this on a platform called async. Now, async is really interesting because as you, as you might know, the NFT platforms that were in the beginning tend to just tended to just be, you upload your digital asset, usually a JPEG PNG, or maybe a MP4, a small one. And then you, you tokenize it, you put it on the blockchain and then that allows it to be traded. This and then you would my limit to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and you get your, you no, get your <laughs> into the wallet, and then the platform gets a percentage, just like a normal gallery, right? But async was different in that it allowed artists to do multi-layered artworks in which each layer is its own NFT, and also allowed it to be programmable to have state changes, either based on manual manipulations. You know, you can go in there and say, I want it to be blue instead of red, or I want to move it this way or this way, for example, or... Um, or to respond to data feeds without intervention manually. For example, time changes, right? So to give you the example for our tarot, we, had, we have the cards in a three-card reading position. And every day at midnight, the system will just generate a randomized reading. So this can be returned to again and again. So eventually, all of the women created our artworks, we created the cards, we gave them to Async, who put them into this three-card template for us, and then helped us program it so that every day at midnight, it will give you a random three-card reading. And that will go on forever because it's written into the blockchain. Oh, so wow. without, our, without any human intervention, it will continue to do that as long as there are computers. I mean, a, a really cool digital sandbox, if you may call it so. Exactly, exactly. So that was like, I think it was the first major arcana tarot, first major arcana functioning tarot that there ever was. So it was really a historic moment. We auctioned it and sold it to Metapurse for, I can't remember how much it went for. But um, the remarkable thing about this was that when the funds came in from the auction, the proceeds went directly Immediately, we're split equally among all the artists, the platform, and then also to a fund back to WOCA to continue to support other women artists. And so that's the magic of blockchain, right? You've got the automation of the artworks. You've got a dynamic artwork that carries on changing without human intervention forever. And you've got automatic split payments without having to go through 22 women's invoices from all over the world coming into a central administrator who then has to go to the bank and cut checks and everything. It just immediately went to those people who then immediately had access to it. In the time of COVID, especially for some of us around the world who are living in, in economies that were not doing well, it was a lifesaver, that money, right? And it was instantaneous. So that's actually a really good example of why this technology is important for artists, but mm -hmm. clearly not just for artists. I think when when the rest of the world realized, oh, this is 
certain things are possible that weren't possible before. And that's why now all these other industries have rushed in and are now, are now trying to exploit the technology to do whatever it is they do, you know, whatever, whatever discipline or industry they happen to be in. And now it's completely insane. <laughs> but it was thanks to the artists. It was thanks to the artists demonstrating the possibilities that all these other industries are coming in. Right. It was all about the community. Exactly, yes. And it's about fair distribution of money. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. And uh, what about your other projects? Is Or is, is that the core one? Oh, no. There's been lots and lots of projects. <laughs> I could go on and on. Um, so I guess I could talk about Dada a little bit. Um, Dada was actually the first uh, platform that I came across in blockchain introduced to me by my friend Lenara Verl, who's a, uh, a conceptual, conceptual artist and an alternative currency researcher. She's the one who introduced me to all of these things. And she was involved with Dada, who was one of the crypt, uh, crypto art pioneers from early on. They're a global group of artists and economists, technologists, and thinkers who uh, originally started out just wanting to find a way for artists to make art collectively and but also prove that artists should be able to capture the value that they generate rather than being exploited and extracted from just like every other industry. So in other words, artists tend have to go through this horrible treadmill of making art and then trying to sell it and then selling it to the highest bidder and then starting all over again. And in the meantime, not getting any royalties, et cetera. Like we know the plight of artists, right? So they created this platform and you can find it still today on dada.art and it's just a normal web two platform. And it has a way for you to join a drawing conversation. And the idea is that people who contribute to these conversations, all the artists are contributing their art to the commons it belongs to the whole collective. And artists are encouraged to draw according to in intrinsic motivations, like um, the joy of having that community to share your art with. You know, you're drawing with someone, you're commenting, you're liking it. Um, you're forming a society of artists. And that's like, there's intrinsic joy in that, for example. So you're not making art for money, you're making art for other values it brings to you. And it's trying to decouple, yeah, it's just trying to sort of like detoxify art um, and separate the art from the market. And they were trying to find a way to then capture the value of that art that's created and those the value of those conversations. But any sort of monetary material value that it would bring in would also be distributed equally among the artists. And they hit upon blockchain technologies, like, oh, maybe this is a, this is a solution. And so that's why they ended up kind of by accident being one of the pioneers of crypto art, because they were one of the first people to think, oh, you know, maybe this maybe this will be useful for us. And so in the uh, intervening years that it has grown into this really big thing where they're trying, trying to create something called the invisible economy, which is uh, an, an alternative socioeconomic system that again, like aims to find a way to have artists creating together in collaboration for the good, for the common good. 
And um, it's called the invisible economy and blockchain is going to help facilitate that. And it's very big and sprawling. I can't really explain it very much. If anybody's interested, they can go to the Dada Medium page and read the 12 part invisible economy white paper and it spells it all out. Um, but yeah, they're just a really an amazing group of people in, in character and heart, as well as in their, you know, really quite radical ideas. Well, cool. Um, I mean, you gave a hell of a lot of advice to the, to, to the audience, to your fellow uh, artists. Um, where do you see uh, the entire art scene is, is heading in the future? I mean, you have mentioned several times, uh, yeah, this happened by accident. We came to an idea of this. We have came to an idea of this. Uh, you know, looking from a different angle and, and a different perspective, um, in my eyes, it uh, looks like creativity within creativity will be something uh, to focus on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, where is art going? I mean, I can't really answer that. I don't, I'm not even part of the art world, really. <laughs> I'm just a person. I don't think of myself as anything, but just, I'm just a person who's curious and I follow my curiosity and I say yes to opportunities when they're presented to me. You know, and if something feels right to me in terms of its value or um, or its possibility to either enrich me or possibly make the world a better place, or is just such a crazy idea, I can't not I can't help but want to follow it. Right. And, and that's how I've ended up where I've ended up. Really, that's really as simple as that. Um, I yeah, ended. But by doing that, I've ended up at the forefront of these amazing places with amazing people, right? Not just here, but in, in other at other times of my life, I have found myself surrounded by people who are really visionaries and working every day to push things forward in a good way. And I've been extremely lucky in that. And now I feel like I've I've landed in a place where I have the opportunity to join them rather than just document them, right? Because I used to be a journalist. I used to document what other people are doing and I would admire them and talk to them and find out, I would try to find out like what is it that made them tick and how they did what they did and never really imagined that I would be able to do it myself. And now I kind of feel like I'm on the verge of being able to do that. And honestly, I have no idea. I, I, I've never known how my life is going to go. I don't have a plan, <laughs> but you know, I feel like I kind of feel like I'm the I feel like I'm on the cusp of uh, kind of a new era. Maybe um, people are really scared of of new technologies and AI and blockchain and all this stuff. And maybe maybe we should be scared. You know, we definitely need to be thinking about these things. We need to think about our total dependence on the Internet and our total dependence on AI. I mean, I think we've been dependent on AI this whole time. It's just that we're only just becoming aware of it now. But that's- It became a buzzword this year, yeah. Yeah, but, but there's no excuse not to try to understand a little bit about it because it has become, it is the infrastructure of our lives. And so we need to pay attention to it just as much as we need to pay attention to the environment. It is the environment that we live in. So, um. I think artists just artists are here to help point all this stuff out. And I guess that that's, that's our job, right? <laughs> we're, we're here to shine a light on all of this stuff and, and, and that's happened. all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, art will always be something deeply personal. How one envisions art, you know, as as they say, beauty is the in the eye of the beholder. So uh, that will never change. But uh, awesome, you're, you're you're doing awesome stuff. And now to get to the question of all questions, uh, how does one get paid in this digital arena? Well, if you're very, very lucky, you can sell your artworks if you can find collectors and sell it for quite a good amount of money. If you have the nerves and the stomach for auctions and sales and marketing, just as with any other market situation, right? Um, for me, uh, as, an, as an artist, I've mostly made my money by doing projects. So I'll be asked to contribute to bigger projects as a part of a team. And I'm very happy to do that. And this isn't just art in terms in the crypto sense, but just uh, mixed reality art, you know, tech based art, um, anything like that. So I've participated in those as an artist, as a workshop leader, teaching digital skills to young people or community members to help co-create assets to bring into public artworks as a, a narrative storyteller, script writer, um and so on you know as an ideas generator so yeah i mean i, I kind of just take it where it comes really you know sometimes i make art and sell it sometimes in collaboration with others and sometimes on my own and um it's not easy i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but that's why i'm putting my efforts into things like dada right because i want i want the system to be better for everyone and i want life to be easier for all artists so that the the idea of the starving artist can just die artists are essential workers in our society and it's time that we're treated as such and if we all went on strike i think the world would look very different okay um, i mean there there are lots of options and as mentioned one has to be creative within the creative industry and if you guys can't do it, then nobody can. Okay, Karen, thanks a lot. It, it was a great talk. Um, where can people go to find out more about your work and uh, how to get uh, in touch with you and hire you? I am on LinkedIn as Karen Francis Ng. And I'm all over social media as Ocular Delusion. O-C-U-L-A-R. Delusion. <laughs> Which is a name that I picked up when I was doing photography. but seems to work very well also uh, as an artist. Um, so you can try to send me a message through any of the DMs on Twitter or Instagram, for example. And I also have a contact form on my website, which is karenfrancisang.com. Okay, great. Uh, Karen, thanks a lot. Have a lovely day. Thank and you. I hope to uh, see you soon. Well, you soon. Virtually, virtually on the, a new podcast, at least. <laughs> yes and many thanks to all of you listening to this episode I hope you find it useful keep following the ACAS channel Digital Economy 101 because we have a new episode coming soon